You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Abe Shapiro. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, May 25th, 2022. Later in the program, the Bloomington Faculty Council passed two resolutions calling on the IU Board of Trustees to provide a pathway to unionization for the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition United Electrical Workers. More in the bottom half of tonight's show. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment here on WFHB Community Radio. More following today's feature. But first, your local headlines. At the Bloomington Plan Commission meeting on May 16th, Assistant Director of Planning and Transportation, Jackie Scanlon, presented an update to the fee schedule, which she said hasn't been updated since 2013. So we are proposing to update fees, uh, and the memo that you received um, indicated that the last time we wholly updated fees was, I believe, in 2013. Um, And the most recently it was updated before that was 1997. So we have updated it a couple of times in the last 25 years. Um, And we are proposing to update based on um, some research that we did with other comparable uh, cities uh, and making our fees a little bit more in line um, with some of those. Scanlon noted changes that would be made and explained why they came to those numbers. So, for example, the two here on the second page, outdoor seating in the right-of-way and a right-of-way excavation permit, are permits that are um, administered by the engineering department now after we split, and so uh, those can come out of our fee schedule. We also added in a floodplain development permit fee, um, as that requires a separate review. That was something new with the 2019-2020 update. Um, and clarifying here at the bottom that occupancy inspections are both for temporary and permanent occupancy. Uh, And then we, uh, another small change in the variance fees, Um, the base fee stays the same for the two different types of development standards, single family use and non-single family, Uh, but we have added a $50 fee for additional variance. So the way that it has been working for some time is that even if you needed seven variances, you only pay the $100. Um, So even though it's seven times the amount of report writing for uh, staff, so trying to keep these in line with the amount of work uh, that they produce. Um, Again, slightly increasing fee for uh, site plans related to uh, residential remodels. Um, You can see from 200 to 250 plus 25 per new dwelling unit. Uh, And then we, um, for additions, again, the um, tack on the 25 is for new dwelling units only. And then, of course, in new construction, all your dwelling units uh, would count toward your total. Commission member Karen St. John said that although she doesn't like raising prices for the people, she appreciates the staff's work to ensure that the prices are reasonable. Um, I don't love raising fees on people, <laughs> but things cost money. And um, it costs money to do things the right way and to get things done. So I 
am grateful that the city has done a good job to figure out if we are um, charging, if the city is charging way too little um, and to align that with also the actual cost of, or at least the perceived actual cost of, of um, conducting this activity. So thank you for doing that. So I will motion approval of the planning and transportation fee schedule as presented um, with the change that um, the uh, plat and plat amendment preliminary and final is $800 plus $1,000 per lot. The commission voted unanimously to approve the new fee schedule. The next planning commission meeting will be held on June 13th. At the Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees meeting on May 18th, Director Greer Carson gave an update on library services this month. We have a new streaming platform dedicated to children's video. This is called Just for Kids Access Video. It offers uh, over 11,000 individual videos, and this is a great supplement to our Canopy Kids platform. Uh, this features PBS, Sesame Street, Reading Rainbow, Wonderscape, and many other producers. Our physical collection use and meeting room use are both sort of rebounding relative to the beginning of the pandemic. So we're seeing our highest numbers uh, since the onset of COVID back in March of 2020. Our yearbook digitization project is in the soft launch phase. So if you recall a few months back, we talked about this when Steph Niemeyer gave an ACS presentation. We've been working on the yearbook digitization project for quite a while. Um, we have enough of those yearbooks uh, fully scanned and browsable and searchable that we have that website accessible under our e-library uh, local history link. Um, we, we call it a soft launch now because we still have some OCR related work to do uh, with these images to make them fully searchable. So we're not doing a big campaign just yet, but it is accessible. Uh, we're hoping we can do more of a full on campaign and, and raise a lot of awareness about this collection uh, maybe in a few months. But it is accessible if you go to our website and you go to local history resources, you can find the yearbooks there. Yeah. Um, our teen and outreach services partnered with Jackson Creek Middle School to present a VR program for students focusing on computer science and haptics in consumer-based technologies, which was very successful and a nice little patron anecdote there that you probably saw in the report. We also have a great anecdote from a vital patron um, and some, some great overall use statistics from VITAL, which is good, also good to see uh, as it's rebounding from the beginning of the pandemic. And this is not in the report, but I like to say that we're very proud of our material handlers. They have turned an 80 cart back up around in about a week to get it down to about 10 carts. And for anyone who's ever shelved carts in a library <laughs> and knows that children's materials, for example, are a lot harder to shelve than everything else, uh, we'll understand why that's very impressive. So we're, we're very proud of them and, and grateful for the hard work they've been doing. Board Secretary Carrie Essere commented on the report, sharing that she was surprised to see the number of daily visitors at the library. Um, I just wanted to highlight a couple statistics, three statistics that I thought were very interesting from your report. Um, the daily visits average 1,439 daily visits. The daily digital items downloaded are 2,295 per day. And the daily physical items, 3,882. This is a busy place.
Board member Nichelle Whitney-Wash asked Carson for an update on the staff's morale after they received a complaint about issues in the workplace. Carson responded, Yeah, uh, things are going very well. We've been talking with a lot of staff who are sort of involved or aware of some of those concerns and certainly with the managers involved in that. Um, So there's been a lot of support and I think I can say safely in a morale improvement over the last couple of weeks without going into the details as to why. Um, Some of that is related to the comment on the material handler's work uh, for sure. The reference to the other community engagement email that we saw is, is one of those sort of um, repeat situations with, with certain patrons where we okay. have kind of a long-standing history with them and trying to communicate with them effectively, and we're going to continue to do the same thing with that individual, um, which is kind of a way of saying you can expect to hear more from that individual. So, yeah. Good. Yeah. Clarifying question because I'm new. Mm-hmm. So I saw one of the emails said that we restrict access to services for a period of a month. Can you give me more insight into how we come to that conclusion? Like what prompts a person's restricted access to the library? That's a great question. So this has to do with when we decide to ban a patron uh, based on a particular behavior or set of behaviors. So it's connected to our behavior policy and it outlines what a ban means and why we would issue a ban and what an appeal process is. So a a more detailed answer to that, I'd I'd like to talk with Brian, our building services manager, about about sharing that. And this might be something that we want to talk about, you know, as a group and just kind of reviewing why we have policies that include potential bans based on patron behavior and how we've managed that process over time and how we've refined it and so on. The next Board of Trustees meeting has been scheduled for June 15th. On Monday, the Bloomington Faculty Council passed two resolutions calling on the IU Board of Trustees to provide a pathway to unionization for the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition United Electrical Workers. The first resolution passed with nearly 84% of the faculty council vote, and it insists that graduate students would not face retaliation by the university for striking. The second resolution instructs the IU administration to create a pathway for union recognition for the IGWC-UE. Katie Shai, PhD student in English and media correspondent for the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition, walked through the significance of these two resolutions. So the first resolution is called Concerning Shared Governance and Graduate Student Supervision. Um, And over 1,600 faculty members voted yes on this resolution. Um, And basically, this one is concerning... um, the primary role of each department in determining when grad workers are reappointed. So one of the you know major turning points this semester uh, was the provost threatening to fire all striking graduate workers. And this resolution really responds to that move and asserts that departments are the ones equipped to evaluate Uh, if a grad worker should be reappointed, right? Professors have the academic expertise to say this student uh, is the one I want for my program. 
So this one is really an assertion from the faculty that the provost kind of overstepped and threatening to fire SAAs. And it, it shows, right, that in the fall, uh, the provost won't be able to make that threat credibly if the Graduate Workers Coalition has to go on strike again. The second resolution concerning student academic appointees and administration, and this one has over 1,400 yes votes, uh, and it calls on the Board of Trustees to set up a union election on campus, and it calls on campus administrators to enter dialogue with the union immediately. So this one is really saying what we've been saying all along, that there's no prohibition, right? There's no roadblock in the way of the administration giving us this union election, this NLRB election that dozens of universities across the country have been able to enjoy. So it's calling for a union election and then asking the administrators at IEP to go ahead and and start that process of reasonable, transparent conversation with the union. Um, And again, all of this, you know, the union is ready to begin that dialogue as soon as possible. And we're eager to get things resolved before the possibility of a fall strike. According to their webpage, the Bloomington Faculty Council is, quote, an elected policy-making body responsible for exercising faculty authority on the Bloomington campus, end quote. Shai explained what support from the Bloomington Faculty Council means for the grad workers. It's not just support. This is uh, a really overwhelming display of the faculty will. Uh, 1,900 faculty members participated in this vote. And there really is no higher body on our campus to endorse the grad student union. Right? This is as strong of a message as we can send to the Board of Trustees that the Bloomington campus is ready for the Grad Workers Coalition to represent grad workers. And so we feel this is a really, uh, really powerful opportunity for the administration to start a new relationship with grad employees. The Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition went on strike from April 13th through May 9th. Shai described her major takeaways on how the strike played out. The strike was an incredible transformational four weeks for IUB's campus as a whole and for the workers in our union. We had a lot of big successes. Notably, you know, our votes each week to reauthorize continuing the strike had these overwhelming yes margins, over 95% each week voting to stay on strike. We had a strong picket line every day. We stopped some deliveries from reaching campus um, as part of that picket. We had undergrads joining us on the picket line, giving their testimonials, explaining why they were in support. And we were able to just really learn lessons together about the power that we have when we stand up for our own rights and working conditions. And so I think that grad workers, although we haven't seen the material improvements that we're still fighting for, we are in a really strong position heading into the fall to keep working on each other's behalf. The Board of Trustees has yet to formally recognize the union. 
Shai speculated what it will take to finally gain the recognition they're looking for. It's really hard to say with any degree of confidence, but we're hoping that this extremely strong message from the faculty vote will really push the Board of Trustees to begin that process of starting up either recognizing our union straight out or giving us that union election where we can democratically express our will to be represented. I think, you know, the faculty are sending a really strong statement. We went on strike for four weeks in the spring. That's a lot of classes that didn't happen. So it's it's really unbelievable that that wasn't enough of a push towards the administration. And so hopefully this this faculty vote provides a new opportunity for them. The graduate workers postponed the strike earlier this month with plans to begin the strike again in the fall. Shai talked about what's next for the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition. We have a really exciting set of plans for both summer and fall. Over the summer, we're going to be working to build our local, so our branch of United Electrical Workers. Um, And so we'll be doing things like electing our bargaining committee, electing our local leadership, setting up what we want our structure to look like, our bylaws, our regular meetings, so that we have a really strong infrastructure, communications framework, all that ready to go in the fall. And we're spending time also just, you know, checking in with each other, continuing to um, build the relationships that make our union so strong. And then when we come back in the fall, we're going to be exploring ways to make our strike even more effective. So we'll be exploring moving uh, learning materials off of university systems. And we'll be exploring, you know, ways for different groups that weren't able to withhold labor in the spring, ways to bring those groups into our strike as well, both like research assistants. Um, And with that strong groundwork laid, you know, we have this strike deadline of September 26, 2022. And we're really hoping that we'll be able to enter into a constructive dialogue with the administration before then, but also really excited about the strength of our membership and the strength of the next collective action. If you would like to hear more about the strike, WFHB News conducted a series of interviews and field recordings featuring more voices from the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition in a segment titled Strike Mike. Visit WFHB.org following this broadcast to hear all of the editions of Strike Mike, Voices from the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition. Up next, we have Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment here on WFHB. We turn now to Richard Fish for more. Welcome. 
Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Back in the 60s, there was a hit song called Crystal Blue Persuasion, and I never figured out what that meant. Now, here's a look at some kinds of persuasion that can make you feel not only blue, but seriously poor. Persuasion cons are an ancient swindle, but they always look brand new. The swindler tries to persuade you of something, which apparently has nothing to do with money. Once you're convinced, the money angle enters the picture as a coincidence, something unintended and unplanned, so you don't suspect that's why the whole game was set up. Take the sweetheart swindle. The swindler develops a relationship with you, convinces you that it's true love. Persuading you that he or she is in love with you is much easier done from a distance, using letters, phone calls, emails, texts, and social media. But then, your distant dinamarata needs money to settle a debt, to get out of jail, or simply to travel and be with you forever. So you cough up. After all, how could someone who loves you want to hurt you? And then your love and your money both disappear. Today, the Internet has given the sweetheart swindle a huge boost. More and more con artists are discovering that they can work more and more suckers at once than ever before. Another classic persuasion scam turns that idea on its head. The scammer persuades you not that you're loved, but that you're cursed. Okay, okay, this might bring on visions of a fake gypsy fortune teller staring into her crystal ball and asking you to cross her palm with silver. Something very much like that was doubtless popular way back before the Egyptians first noticed the Nile River and is still practiced even today among the superstitious. Again, on the Internet, this scam has roared back to life worldwide. Ever see a pop-up on your screen telling you your computer is infected with a virus and asking you to click here to clean it? If you do, you probably will end up with an infected computer. In 2004, a company called Datalink Computer Products persuaded one wealthy sucker that his computer was being targeted and kept charging him for additional security services. By the time he twigged to the truth in 2010, he had forked over millions of dollars. A persuasion con game depends on persuading the sucker, and I hope it won't be you, that something very good, or very bad, is true when it really isn't. In either case, it's something you can't, or probably won't, check out yourself, and it doesn't appear to have anything to do with money at first. So anytime anybody, especially someone you've just met, tries to persuade you, Check out what they're saying yourself, if you can, and if you can't, beware. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at wfhb.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break.
Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noelle Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB News, I'm Abe Shapiro. Live and learn. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters at WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Cool Solutions climate action from the bottom up. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local longer.